presents one of our greatest struggles. Our struggle with ourselves and our struggle to make sense of the world. But the movie also presents an exciting solution that we can overcome these struggles. And the answer to overcoming these struggles lies within us. That's the message of the movie. The problems that we face can be overcome. Life is going to bring its challenges, but there's no limit to what we can do when we put our minds to it. If we can always find the solution within, then we don't need to look without, and suddenly we have true autonomy. That's very appealing. That's the appealing message that the movie communicates. But we have to stop and pause and remember, this is Hollywood. Hollywood itself is not living in the real world. And so that is one of the reasons that when they made the movie, they had to change a number of facts about the life of John Nash in order to make the movie more appealing. But the movie, and many movies, are good at raising issues. Raising issues for us to think about, even if they're not as effective in dealing with those issues. And the the movie A Beautiful Mind does raise some very interesting questions. One which was touched on in the clip that we watched. If the mind is at the root of the problem, as it is with mental illness, for example, how can the mind be used to fix the problem if the mind is at the root of a problem? If your mind cannot consistently recognize what is true, how can you then trust your mind to recognize what is true about what is true? That is a problem. Another question too that is raised with this movie is that if someone sees the world one way, why should he change his view of the world to fit someone else's view of the world? What is it that makes one person right and another person wrong? What is it that would um, make someone decide the way that the world really is? Is it the majority? Is it the most powerful? Well, surely history teaches that the majority and the most powerful are not always right. Might is not always right. So when it comes to convincing someone else about the way the world really is, why should the schizophrenic not win the day by convincing everyone else to see the world the way that he sees it? Why would that not be seen as progress? Well, these are interesting questions, ones that the movie doesn't answer. But the movie does affirm something implicitly that is very important. It reinforces the idea that there really is truth about the world. There really is truth about the world. And what's more, we can know what it is. That's actually quite a significant thing, particularly in this day and age. Reality is not relative. There is truth out there. And we can know what it is. And the mind is the key to discerning what is true, what is real. The mind is key. Well, this evening we're going to build on this fact and focus on two important life principles that follow from it. The first one is, we need to understand the necessary relation between our thoughts and our actions. And number two, we need to undertake to live our life rejecting what is false and reflecting what is true. Let me say those again. Number one, we need to understand the necessary relation between our thoughts and our actions. And two, we then need to undertake to live our life rejecting what is false, but reflecting what is true. Now, some of you are starting to get worried that I'm going to be preaching a message based on a Hollywood text, but let me quickly reassure you that even in light of the fact that all truth is God's truth, that is not going to be the basis of what I'm going to talk about today. Because Paul communicates a similar message in the book of Romans. He captures a similar truth and he communicates it to the Christians there. And if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at this in a moment. 
If you have a few Bible, uh, you'll find it on page 1139, I think. 1139. And we'll be looking at this in just a moment. Romans chapter 12. Now, in Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, he spent a lot of time throughout the first 11 chapters giving a lot of basic doctrine. He spent a lot of time in this letter communicating this. But in chapter 12, he starts to make a shift. He starts to make a shift and he moves into application. He wants to talk about how does a believer live faithfully to God in the real world? How does he do it? How does he get it done? Certainly, we know that uh, salvation involves initial regeneration, but the process of spiritual transformation must continue. God's sanctifying work is not complete at the moment of conversion. In fact, as Paul talks about in Philippians 1, God's good work has only just begun. So Paul is making a strong appeal here to the Christians in Rome to give their lives back to God. And he wants them to live in a way that this shows. That's the exhortation. But Paul goes on and he includes the key to its application. He reflects the twofold message that we gleaned from the movie. First, Paul wants his readers to understand the relation between their thoughts and their actions. He wants them to understand the connection between what they think and what they do. And then two, he wants them to take the necessary steps to reject the things that are false and to reflect the things that are true. This is what Paul wants to communicate. Now we see that the movie certainly captured the nature of the problem and the essence of the solution. When we struggle to align our lives with what is real, we need to renew our minds with what is really true. But that is, that is as far as the movie would go. And any Hollywood-style self-help solution is not going to get your life back on track. Any attempt to do so is like trying to lift yourself up by your own shoelaces. It's something you can't do. You just cannot do it. The battle for the mind requires the divine help of the Holy Spirit in the life of a spirit-filled believer. Only then can you really understand God's word and apply it successfully in your life. Now, our mind today has been damaged. Maybe that's a newsflash for you, but your mind has been damaged by the world. It has. That is a fact, because it is being bombarded with values that the world is giving you, which are not God's values. And in this day and age, we get it from every, every angle, every corner. Our minds are being bombarded with worldly values. And that damages us to a certain extent. And that's bad news. Some of us will know and recognize that fact. But there is good news this evening. That's not the end of the story. You're not a lost cause. That damage is not irreparable. Your mind can be renewed. Your mind, your mind can be renewed. That is made new again. Well, how? When it is transformed with God's truth. And as you renew your mind with God's truth, affecting your beliefs, you then impact your behavior, giving you the strength to stand for God and to stand against the pressure of the culture. The mind is abused by the world, but it can be renewed by the word. The mind is abused, but it can be renewed. Now, a mind abused by the world becomes ugly, but a mind renewed by the word of God is a beautiful thing. And to renew your mind, you need to understand the relation between your thoughts and your actions, between your belief and your behavior. And then you need to take those necessary steps in order to reject the things that are false 
and to work on reflecting the things that are true. Then you can live in obedience to God. Then you can know God's will for your life. See the progression there. Well, this was Paul's message to Christians in the city of Rome in the first century, and this is God's message for each one of us today. So before we read from Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, let's pray and ask for God's help again this evening. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your reality. And Lord, we know that your reality is communicated to us in many ways. You communicate your presence in the world, in nature. You communicate your reality in the Word of God. And you've communicated the reality of yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can live in a relationship with you and live in fellowship with you, reflecting your truth in our lives. But we can't do it on our own. We need to do it empowered by you. But also, Lord, we need to work at it too in order to put the good things in, in order that the good things will flow out in our life and our behavior. Help us to recognize the battle for the mind in this day and age, in our culture, and to seek to fight, to take a stand, Lord, for you, in our mind and in our thoughts, and ultimately in our actions too. Help us to learn what Paul has to say, to challenge us in this area this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Verse 1 begins with the word therefore. Now therefore is a connective. Paul wants to make a connection here with what he has said before, with what he is about to say. Paul wants to link what has gone before with what is going to come. And Paul has spent uh, a lot of time building up to this, establishing many of the wonderful things that God has done in the life of a believer. He's writing to Christians here. And he wants them to grasp what God has done in order that this will provoke a response. He wants them to understand what God has done for them in order that they will want to give something back to God. That's a natural reaction. When someone does something nice for you or good for you or helpful to you, your reaction is you, you want to do something back in return. Recently I was in India with Ian Leach and Ian and I spent about two and a half weeks in India. We travelled around, ministered in villages and churches, various places, had a, had a great time over there. And one day we took a trip to visit a family that Ian and his wife Morag have been supporting for many years. As soon as we arrived at the home of this family, they could not do enough for Ian or for me because I was with them. But, uh, they didn't know me, but I was with Ian and they just constantly served us. They wanted to give us the best food they had in the house. They wanted to give us the best seat in the house. They wanted to serve us constantly from start to finish. Why? Why did they want to do this? Well, Ian and his wife Morag have been supporting this family for many years. And through the support of Ian and Morag, this family have been able to move out of their mud hut into a stable home. This family have been able to put their kids through a good education system. They were able to go and get qualified with good degrees. They didn't have to go and try and earn some money just to survive. It has made a huge impact on this family, the support of Ian and Morag. Ian and Morag have done something for this family. And this family cannot do enough for Ian and Morag. Their reaction is they want to serve and give back because they grasp genuinely what has been done for them. Paul wants to speak to the Christians in Romans and to say, 
Listen, if you can grasp anything of what God has done for you, you're going to want to give back to God. If you can grasp that God has given you life itself, and you really understand that, your reaction, your natural response is, you you want to give something back to God. Well, Paul says you can. You can give your life back to God. But if you want to give your life back to God, well, you have the inclination, but how do you do it? Well, the first step is, again, we want to understand the relation between our thoughts and our actions, between our mind and our behavior. Paul understands that our actions do reflect what we truly believe. Therefore, we need to work on our beliefs in order to influence our actions. We need to examine our beliefs, to strengthen our beliefs about things that are true, things that God has done, things that we know about God, who he is, things that God has told us in his word. As we work on these truths to impact our beliefs, then we will impact our behavior and be able to live faithfully to God. An American philosopher, J.P. Moreland, has said, Beliefs are the rails upon which our lives run. We almost act according to what we really believe. It doesn't matter much what we say we believe or what we want others to think we believe. When the rubber meets the road, we act out our actual beliefs most of the time. That is why behavior is such a good indicator of a person's belief. People will say a lot of things, but when push comes to shove, people will act in accordance with what they really believe. When Jesus spoke about false prophets, for example, he said, listen to the words, sure, but watch their behavior. Watch their lives. By their fruit, you will know them. A person's life will reflect what they truly believe. Our actions reflect our beliefs. Our beliefs are reflected in our actions. There's a logical relation between mind and behavior. We can apply this as follows. Premise one, if you renew your mind with God's truth, then you will influence your beliefs. Premise two, if you influence your beliefs, then you will influence your actions. Conclusion, therefore, if you renew your mind with God's truth, then you will influence your actions. This is a syllogism, it's a logical progression showing the relationship between premise one, premise two, and the conclusion. This might be something you want to memorize and write down so you can tell your friends or if you think this is going to scare them more than impress them, you can use the pocket version. We have a pocket version for you tonight, which is, what goes in must come out. What goes in must come out. That's a simple version. That's a simple fact of the matter. What comes in through here comes out through here. What comes into your mind comes out in your behavior. As a friend of mine who used to work with computers and computer programming, he said they um, understood a similar principle. Garbage in, garbage out. The same is true for our life. You put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. And if you're worried about garbage out, then you've got to look back and say, well, at what point is the garbage coming in? That's where you deal with the problem. That's what Paul wants to communicate to the Christians in Rome. And whether or not you realize it today, like the Christians in Rome, You're having to deal with a lot of garbage coming in, in our culture, in this day and age. There's a worldview that is everywhere in our culture today, and it is not what God wants you to think or to believe. It is not God's truth. The secular worldview is telling you things about yourself, things about other people, things about the world that are not true. 
And yet these things come in and soak into our minds and they influence our actions. This is a, a problem that we need to face up to and deal with. And Christians certainly are concerned with life on the outside. I mean, a Christian thinks, okay, my behavior, I want my behavior to, to be in accord with what God wants. But what we need to do is take a step back and look at what's coming in through our mind in order to really tackle the issue of our behavior. Again, what's coming in through our mind will, to a large extent, determine what comes out in our lives. Mind and behavior, thoughts and action. The two are inextricably linked. The relation between them is inescapable. So it's vital that we understand the connection. So we need to undertake to reject what is false and reflect what is true. We need to reject what is false. Paul says, don't conform to the world. Now we all know the the saying, when in Rome, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Fit in as best you can. Well, Paul says, I'm going to turn that saying on its head. When in Rome, don't do what the Romans do. When in Rome, or anywhere for that matter, do as Christ would do. Don't just fall into line with everyone else. I don't know if you've ever made a candle before, but I remember as a youngster in a youth club that we made candles one time. And in order to make a candle, what you do is you get some candle wax, you heat it up till you melt the wax, then you get a a mould, we used a rubber mould, and we poured the candle wax into the mould until it filled it up, we'd let it set, then we'd peel the mould off and we'd have the candle. Now if you make candles this way, what you discover is when you pour the candle wax into the mould, the candle wax conforms to the shape of the mould. So when you take the mould away, the candle is left mirroring the shape of the mould. Now, some of us live our lives like this. We pour ourselves into situations so that we completely resemble our surroundings. Like the candle wax pouring into the mould, we pour ourselves into our family life, we pour ourselves into our work situation, we pour ourselves into our social situation, just to resemble everything else and everyone else doing what everyone else does, saying what everyone else does. That's a lot easier. That's certainly an attractive philosophy in many ways because it's a lot more comfortable just to fit in. It's more comfortable just to do what everyone else is doing. It's more comfortable just to say what everyone else is saying. That's the easier thing to do. Paul says when conforming to the world means compromising Christianity, don't do it. Don't do it. Now this is not going to be easy. This is not an Eastern philosophy where you follow the path of least resistance. This is standing true to what God has said and to what you really believe. But it's not going to be easy. I remember as a young boy, uh, nine years old, as far as I'm aware, I was the only Christian in my class. As far as I'm aware, I'm really, I think I was the only Christian in my school. I was a new faith, didn't know too much, and I suddenly realized that my faith made me stand out. It made me different. And I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to stand out. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be like everyone else. I wanted to be popular and I wanted to be liked. But I realized my faith was going to make me different. And so I had a really hard time. I was actually quite embarrassed about my faith. I was quite embarrassed about being a Christian. And I didn't tell people. I I just wanted to keep it hidden. I remember walking to church on a Sunday morning. It was a local church. We'd walk to church. And it'd be my worst nightmare if I'd see one of my classmates as I was walking to church. I didn't want them to see me. I wasn't quite hiding between lampposts, but I certainly was not very um, excited to see other people because I was a bit embarrassed about being a Christian. 
And when it came to being in school, if something came up about Christianity, there were many times that I didn't want to say anything. I just wanted to kind of duck down in the chair and hope the conversation would pass me by. Because if I say something, then I might not be very popular. It was very difficult. I felt the pressure to conform. And I was nine years old. Now, we all know that pressure doesn't get any easier. That pressure maybe gets more intense the older we get, the situations that we find ourselves in. But what we need to realize is that as we increase in knowledge in our faith and understanding in our faith, our faith can get stronger. I know certainly the more I learned uh, about Christianity, the more convinced I became that this belief really is true, I got to a point where I wasn't embarrassed anymore. But there still is pressure to conform. I feel it. You feel it too. It's out there. But Paul, he knew about pressure greater than any of us. He faced rejection, persecution, He was jailed, he was beaten, all for standing up for Christianity. And Paul said, listen, I understand it's not easy, but we are called to do it. Do not conform to the world. Well, you might say, well, that's okay for Paul, but I'm no Paul. Well, okay, neither am I. We don't need to be Paul. But what we do need to do is recognize the principle that he's giving us to help us grow stronger in our own faith, in our own understanding, as we don't conform by renewing our mind with God's truth. Now, maybe tonight you say, okay, I understand, I want to change my beliefs, to bring them into line with what God says is true. But to be honest, there's many, there are many things that God says that I just have a hard time accepting or really believing. I want to, I know I should, but I find it hard to do, I find I can't do it. And actually, it's interesting because this is the hallmark of a serious problem. You cannot change your beliefs by direct effort. You cannot do it. You could offer me a million pounds this evening and say, Alec, I want you to believe there's an elephant in the back of the church. I'll pay you a million pounds. Here's the bag of cash. If you believe there's an elephant in the back of the church, I'll give you the money. Wow, what an offer. Well, before I start to rub my hands together, I have to realize that I can't make myself believe something. No matter what the incentive is. No matter how much I want to. If I don't believe something, I cannot make myself believe it. Now, in this situation, I want to believe it, and I could try really, really hard. No, no, still no elephant there. I couldn't do it. You can't change your beliefs by direct effort, and that is a problem. But what does that mean then? Does that mean we're stuck? Does that mean we're stuck with our beliefs? Because if we can't change them, what can we do? Well, the good news is, We can change our beliefs indirectly, by indirect effort. You can change your beliefs. And if I want to change my beliefs in a particular area, what I start to do is I begin a a process of investigation, a journey of discovery. I begin to read about something. I begin to talk to relevant people about something. I begin to reflect on key issues that pertain to something. And as I start to reflect on these things, well, I can't just snap my fingers and believe something. As I start to think about something and and, and reflect on something, I can find that over time, I can find myself starting to believe something the more I'm convinced that something really is true. So indirectly, we can impact our beliefs and it involves our mind. Now, in the context of Christianity, I'm not suggesting that we bring our beliefs into line with God just as an intellectual exercise. No, we partner with God in this. We partner with God and we rely on the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. 
But we work in tandem with this. We have a responsibility as part of this to renew our mind in order that we do not conform to the world. And that was part of what Paul wanted to say to the Christians in Rome. So thinking the way God wants us to think is certainly not a quick fix. It's not just mental assent. You can't snap your fingers and believe something. You don't wait to be struck by a supernatural bolt of lightning from God that suddenly changes your beliefs. You have to undergo a gradual process of transformation. It is a result of an ongoing discipline. An ongoing discipline where you continue to uh, prayerfully reject the things that are false and prayerfully reflect on the things that are true. This is what Paul wants you to do. And it's going to take some willing and it's going to take some effort on your part. You're going to need to sacrifice some of the things that you want to do in order to be the person God wants you to be. You need to sacrifice some of the things that you want to do if you want to be the person God wants you to be. It's about priorities. It's about putting God first before you in order to be the person He wants you to be. And what you have to ask yourself, are you willing to pay the price? It comes at a cost. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to put God's desires before your own? Are you willing to live sacrificially in order to be the person God wants you to be? There's choices you need to make in order to follow through on that. Well, living in our society, you certainly don't have to put your life on the line to live out your faith, but if you refuse to conform to the world, there will be a cost. If you commit to be transformed by renewing your mind, there will be a cost. There will be a price to pay. And so you have to ask yourself, are you willing to pay the price, whatever it would cost you? What about not conforming? Well, not conforming can cost you relationships, it can cost you friendships. Maybe not doing what everyone else is doing turns people away. It can turn away friends or colleagues. I remember that um, after I had wandered away from the Lord for a few years and came back to God and was so excited about my faith, um, and suddenly I stopped doing, uh, hanging out with the friends that I was hanging out with who were going out and drinking, and I stopped that and I said, listen, I'm not interested in doing that. And they turned around and they thought, what's wrong with you, you know? And then I said, listen, I'm going to be getting baptized soon. Would you like to come to my baptism? And they took another step back again. They said, well, something's really wrong with you. They thought I was crazy. They turned away from me. And that's okay. There was a cost involved. But I knew I wanted to follow the Lord. I wanted to put him first. I didn't want to conform to the world. I wanted to be transformed and be obedient to Christ. And in that situation, there was a cost. In your life, if you refuse to conform... If you refuse just to be like everyone else, if you refuse just to do what everyone else is doing to fit in, or say what everyone else is saying just in order to be one of the crowd, if you suddenly stop conforming, people are not going to like it. People don't like when someone is different. They just want you to be like everyone else. And if you refuse to conform, there's going to be a cost. Are you willing to pay the price? Maybe you're in a relationship, and you know this relationship is not right before God. But I'm in it quite deep and there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, if I was to put things right before God, there's going to be a price to pay. I can't pay that price. If you are in a relationship that is not right before God, God is calling you to pay the price, to live sacrificially, to put his desires before your own. Are you willing to do it? What about being transformed? Being transformed by renewing your mind. You can't just buy something and put it on your temples and plug it into the wall and switch on and voila. 
It's going to take work. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take effort. It's not a quick fix. It's an ongoing discipline that you need to introduce into your life. And it's not easy because it's not the path of least resistance. But are you going to do it? Are you willing to live that way in order to be the person God wants you to be? It'll cost you time. How do you spend the hours in your day, the days in your week, the weeks and the months and the year? How do you spend your time? There's some things that you want to do that maybe you're not going to be able to do. There may be other things you can continue to do, but there's some things which you'll recognize that you have a choice to make. And one way is your way, one way is God's way. What are you going to choose? Because you have the freedom to choose. But if you put God's desires first, before your own, then you're living sacrificially for him and you're going to be the person that he wants you to be. So again, being transformed by renewing your mind, it comes at a cost. Are you willing to pay the price? But the good news is, if you're willing to pay the price, your mind can be renewed. You can be the person God wants you to be. You can be the person God created you to be. That's something that we want. That's something that we need. And God's given us the instruction in order to make that become a reality, to see that happen. And if you're willing to pay the price, your mind can be renewed when you begin to build God's word into your life. God's word is a key. Because God's word tells us the truth about the world we live in, about ourselves, about the value that we have, about the value of other people. We need to shape and influence our thinking with God's truth. We need to make sure that we get the good stuff in in order to get the good stuff out. We need to limit some of the bad stuff that's coming in that's that's changing our thinking, that's teaching us that we're just a a number or we're just a lump of physical stuff or that we have no future to look forward to or that we have no meaning or purpose in life. That is what the world would tell us. You manufacture your own worth and value and reality. That's not what God says. You're inherently valuable. You're made and stamped with the image of God. That is what God's word is telling us. And when we renew our mind with that truth, our whole outlook on the world is different. We need to renew our mind with God's truth. Build God's word into our life. Our mind is renewed when we seek God's assistance through prayer. And prayer is key. Prayer is a key part of this picture. You need to prayerfully seek God's help in asking him to help you renew your mind. And prayer is a challenge. Prayer is not easy. If you're anything like me, Sometimes you just find there's that many other things to do that prayer gets squeezed out because other priorities just start to fall in front of you. It's very difficult to pray because there's power in prayer. But if you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, prayer needs to be key, a key component in seeing this happen. And so if you find it difficult to pray, get together with someone else. Commit to spend time with someone else, praying together, have the accountability, have the support structure there. Because prayer is key to being transformed. Also, your mind is renewed as you live and function as part of the body of Christ. You know, the Christian life wasn't designed to be lived in isolation. You can't do it. You've maybe heard the illustration that Christians are like lumps of coal in the fire when all together they glow nice and warm. You take one out, it grows cold very quickly. We can't survive on our own. God didn't design it that way. We need to rely and depend on one another. And so Christians are part of the body of Christ. We need to function in that way. We need to be connected to the body. We need to to live and serve and fellowship as part of the body of Christ. Again, this is by God's design. This will help us be all that God wants us to be. 
And sometimes that takes sacrifice too. Are you willing to do it in order to be renewed and be the person God wants you to be? Well, Paul challenges us, don't conform. Do not conform to the world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in light of what God has done for you, present your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to Him. Then you will know God's will in your life. Then you will know God's will in your life. Do you want to know God's will? As a Christian, I'm sure you do. Well, God's will is no mystery. Sometimes Christians think God's will is like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You've heard about it. Maybe it's out there. But it's a bit of a fairy story. And how are you supposed to find it? Well, no. God wants you to know his will. He doesn't hide it. He makes it obvious to you. But, and it's very simple to to understand God's will, it's by living in daily obedience to him. By doing the simple things and doing them consistently and regularly. By refusing to conform to the world. By committing to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will in your life. You have the steps. Put them into practice. And see God reveal his will in your life. Well, your mind has been abused by the world, but it can be renewed by the word. That is a reality. That is something Paul spoke to the Christians in the first century in Rome about. But that is something that is equally applicable to Christians in Scotland today. And in order to overcome this problem, to be renewed, we need to understand the relation between our thoughts and our actions. We need to understand that these things go together. And to influence our actions, we first have to deal with our beliefs. We have to work in our beliefs. We need to reject the things that are false and reflect on the things that are true. Again, Paul's message 2,000 years ago. God's message equally applicable to us today. And if God has spoken to you this evening and he's challenging you to deal with something in your life, if he's challenging you, if you know that you've conformed If you think, well, I've taken that step, I've stepped over that line, that's okay. The game isn't over. God says tonight, listen, you can come back to me and you can start to have your mind renewed. You can have your your mind renewed again. Get your feet back on track. Live the way I want you to be. Be the person I want you to be. Let me reveal my will in your life. And if God is convicting you about something you need to deal with this morning, before we close, we're going to take a few moments of silent prayer. And not responding to me, but to respond to God. If he has spoken to your heart, if he has spoken to your mind, if he has communicated to you, there's something you need to deal with tonight. Then let tonight be the night you do. Deal with it. That you take a stand and take a step and say, God, no. I'm going to draw a line here. I want to know your will in my life. I want to be the person that you want me to be. I don't want to conform. I want to be transformed. And it's not easy. But I want to start taking those steps that will enable me and strengthen me to do that, to be the person. So let's take a couple of moments in prayer.